Well, welcome to church here on campus. Welcome to church here online. Happy that you guys joined us. Go ahead, type in your name so our online host can interact with you. Grateful to have you be a part of our service today as well. Uh, We are going to take a pause on our United in Christ series as we prepare to enter into the Advent season. And so we're going to be looking at one scripture today. One scripture today that I believe will offer us some hope as we go into a season of our Advent coming together. So if you have your scriptures, let's go ahead and open up to John chapter 16. If you're like, oh, forgot my scriptures, it's going to be up here on the screen because we got you covered. So John chapter 16, we're going to be in verses 29 through 33. So go ahead, just leave it open. We're going to stay camped out in here all morning. This is what God's word says in John chapter 16, verse 29. His disciples said, ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Verse 31, Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone, yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Today, I want to talk about victory over tragedy. I want to talk about why we have become overcome with the tragedy of this world rather than overcome by the victory of Jesus. I want us to release our uncertainty and I want us to embrace the victory and the peace and the hope and the truth and the confidence that we have in Jesus. For far too long, we have held on to the tribulations that have burdened our hearts and our minds and our bodies and our souls. And today, we need to let them go. And we need to take hold of Jesus. So here's the big idea. Here's where we're going. Here's our on-ramp to sermon world. The tragedy of this world will never diminish the victory of Jesus. The tragedy of this world will never diminish the victory of Jesus. Let's say that together. Leave it up there on the screen for me. The tragedy of this world will never diminish the victory of Jesus. Hold on. Online community, I didn't hear you. Just because you're at home in your PJs with your coffee doesn't mean you can't participate. Let's hear it one more time. The tragedy of this world will never diminish the victory of Jesus. You see, we are no strangers to tragedy. That's pretty obvious, right? It doesn't even take turning on the news to understand that we are no strangers to tragedy, but tragedy has made us strangers to the peace and victory of Jesus. 
Tragedy has a way of holding our hope hostage, taking away our peace and making us feel completely defeated. And while tragedy takes our hope hostage, it does not diminish or lessen or deflate or defeat or belittle or decrease the victory of Jesus because the power of the empty cross and the empty tomb is greater than any tragedy that we will face. Sorry, I'm excited. <laughs> so allow me to walk through the background of our scripture, right? Because it's kind of like a movie that you pick up at like the end and you're like, wait a minute, what happened before? So let me give you the before. Back three chapters, John chapter 13, Jesus is in the upper room with the disciples having what we call the Last Supper. And instead of taking the seat at the head of the table, he takes a bowl and a towel, and he starts washing the disciples' feet. Peter actually goes through this process of, Lord, I, I'll never abandon you. I'll always be with you. And Jesus goes, actually, you will abandon me. It's coming, I promise. Then Jesus looks at his betrayer who's in that same room, and he says, go do what you need to, but you better go quickly. John chapter 14, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And there he starts promising the presence of the Holy Spirit. He goes, listen, so I'm not going to be here forever. But the Holy Spirit is coming. The Holy Spirit will be with you. John chapter 15, Jesus calls himself the vine. He says, I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing that's really important. Hold on to that for later. Then in chapter 16. Chapter 16 actually has some bookends on it. Similar statements at the beginning and at the end, right? So John chapter 16, verse 1, Jesus says, I have said these things to you to keep you from falling away. That sounds a lot like 1633, doesn't it? He again mentions the work of the Holy Spirit, and he starts to prepare them for some sorrow that is about to erupt in their lives. And then we enter into our scripture this morning where the disciples believe, oh, now we understand. Jesus, we get it. We know not to question you anymore. And he goes, now you understand? You didn't understand when we fed the 5,000 people with a little boy's lunch. You didn't, you didn't get that? Okay. You didn't understand when I came to you walking on the water. You didn't get that part? You didn't understand when you interrupted my nap and I got up and I told that storm, shh. You did not understand that, but now, now you think you understand? Jesus' tone gives them the impression they don't know anything yet. He then speaks about the abandonment of the disciples, but the closeness of the Father. And then we reach our verse for this morning. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. There's two life-altering words that Jesus speaks into our tragedies that will help us navigate the tribulations of our lives. And they're easy to see. It doesn't take a Bible degree or a Bible scholar to spot these two words. But when tragedy strikes, they're hard to live. 
Why? Because Satan will use our tragedy to try and distract us and discourage us. He wants to distract us from the hope of Jesus, and he wants to discourage us so that we start to look for hope in something or someone else. But these two life-altering words will help us focus in our seasons of tragedy and will give us confidence in Jesus. We're going to split verse 33 right down the middle. We'll start with the first part. I have told you these things. Right? Remember, I've washed your feet. Uh, one of you is going to betray me. Peter, you're going to deny me. You know, all these things are happening. Even though I'm the way, the truth, and the life, the Holy Spirit's coming. I am the vine. You are the branches. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. Remember, the Holy Spirit is coming. You're about to experience a sorrow that's going to rock your world and everything that we've been through. You think you understand, but you don't yet. You will abandon me. I have told you all these things. That in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. See, our first life-altering word is peace. See, Jesus is setting the table for what's about to happen. He's about to be arrested, taken away, put on trial. He's going to be mocked and, and beaten Forced to carry his own cross. Crucified in front of a crowd. And buried. Sorrow is about to fill their minds. Trouble is knocking on their door. Their whole world is about to become crushed. And some of the last words that Jesus speaks to his disciples are about peace. Peace that is only found in him. Peace that can only come from him. See, in the first part of verse 33, Jesus makes an offer and a promise. He makes an offer and a promise. He is promising that tribulation will come. And tribulation, when we're talking about this, when it's in the original language, tribulation means a trouble that inflicts distress and oppression and affliction. Jesus mentions this before. Matthew chapter 13, Jesus mentions this word tribulation before because the disciples, he just gets done telling them the parable of the sower. And the disciples go, we don't really understand what you're talking about. Can you help us out a little bit? And so Jesus tells them here, he starts explaining the parable in Matthew 13. Verses 20 and 21 says this, As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one, the person who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on the account of the word, immediately he falls away. Immediately he receives the message of Jesus with joy, but because there's no root, and when tribulation comes, it immediately dies. Tribulation, persecution, distress, oppression, affliction, tragedy, whatever you want to call it, we have all had some situation come into our minds when we started talking about tragedy. Because we all have experience. Maybe when we think of tragedy, we continually think of George Floyd. Maybe we think of COVID. 
Maybe with tragedy we think of our jobs or our families or our homes or all of the milestones we've missed in the last eight months. Maybe when we think of tragedy, we think of our schools. Are we going? Are we not going? What we do know is that our teachers and our administrators are superheroes. When we think of tragedy, maybe we think of our kids or the losses that we have all undoubtedly had. We've gone through some tragedy together. Jesus promises tribulation. But before that, he offers peace. Did you catch that part? I, lo- I love kind of breaking down the text and going, okay, what does it mean here, right? I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. You may have it. It's on the table. It's not just to come in and go, wow, peace, and then walk away. That's not the way it works. Jesus wants you to come in and take peace. The peace of Christ is available for us. That in me you may have peace in the world. You will have tribulation. There is a tribulation that is promised for us and there is peace that is waiting for us. Waiting for us to accept it, to embrace it, and to cherish it. I think often we, we define peace incorrectly. You see, peace is not where everything in life is calm, but where we point everything in life to Jesus. Peace is not a calm and normal life, but peace is knowing and remembering who is in charge. Peace is not the absence of tragedy, but knowing who is present in our tragedy with us. You see, when we talk about and we hear about the peace of Christ, it is more about our confidence and contentment in Jesus than about the calmness of our lives. Peace happens when we remember we never walk alone. Peace happens when we remember who is in charge. Peace happens when we remember that even in the midst of chaos, Jesus still reigns. The same Jesus that died for us on the cross and that rose for us from the grave is the same Jesus who stands with us in our tribulations and our trials and our tragedy. I think it's important to note that peace does not come to us in a variety of ways. There's not a value pack of peace at Sam's. Peace only comes through Jesus. Peace does not come by the things that surround our lives, but by the Savior that surrounds our heart. And all we have to do is accept the peace that is offered to us. When we accept the peace of Jesus, we are embracing a vision that is not focused on what is going wrong, but on who is coming with. When Jesus offers peace to the disciples, he is not offering them an easy way out, but offering them an anchor in the middle of the storm, offering them strength to hold on to in the middle of their tragedy. True, honest, dependable, confident, constant peace is found in relationship with Jesus. Accepting the peace of Jesus will always highlight his care for us and will always diminish the harsh reality of tragedy. The first life-altering word is peace. The second life-altering word comes in the second half of verse 33. Right? Jesus says, I have told these things to you that in me you may have peace. 
In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Take heart simply means to have courage. To be unwavering in the face of tragedy and tribulation. Again, Jesus is highlighting the unavoidable tribulation in our lives. When he tells the disciples to have courage, it means, hey guys, listen, you're going to need courage soon. Something's going to happen where you are going to actually need courage to not talk about it anymore, but to have it. And this is not the first time that Jesus tells his disciples to take heart. Maybe you remember the story, Matthew chapter 14. We've already referenced it. Matthew chapter 14, verse 27. Jesus has just dismissed the 5,000. He tells the disciples, get in a boat, go on ahead to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. I'm going to go up on this mountainside by myself to pray. It's a good example. We should take that example to, to life. He comes down from the mountain and he sees the boat out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, and he starts walking on the water to them. Now, it's the fourth watch of the night between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. It's early, unless you're a golfer, uh, but that's early, or paper boy. Those still exist? Paper boy? I don't know. It's early in the morning. The disciples are probably a little disoriented from the raw fish they just had, and, like, they see this being coming to them, walking on top of the water, and they start to cry out, It's a ghost! But verse 27 in Matthew 14 says, Immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. So in our scripture, it's not the first time that Jesus tells them to have courage. But there's some difference between these stories because Jesus is saying, Take heart, I'm about to get in the boat. Here Jesus is saying, You need to take heart because I'm about to get out of the boat. This is going to get really real. Take heart, have courage, be unwavering. Why? Because Jesus has overcome the world. This word for overcome actually means to be stronger than or to have victory. Our second life-altering word is victory. Peace and victory. And you guys are smart. The opposite of victory is defeat. What Satan wants to do in the middle of our tragedy is he wants to distract us and discourage us. He wants to distract us from the presence and peace of Jesus. He wants to discourage us, telling us that there is no victory in Jesus. He wants us to feel defeated by the world instead of built up by our Savior. He wants us to feel conquered by our tragedy rather than restored by Jesus. He wants us to feel beaten down by our burdens, crushed by our circumstances, and trampled by our tribulation. But Jesus says with a bloody cross and an empty tomb that victory is mine. This is not a victory that you or I obtain. There's no game to be won There's no checklist in our life where we can obtain this victory, but we get to participate in this victory. When Jesus says that he has overcome the world, he is literally saying he is stronger than the world. That he is stronger than our burdens, stronger than our sins, that he is stronger than the distraction and discouragement of Satan. He is stronger than 
than the burdens of life that weigh us down. Jesus has victory over death. He has victory over our hopelessness. He has victory over our burdens, victory over our sin. He has victory over the cross, victory in the storm, and victory through our tragedy. When Jesus speaks about victory, he speaks about hope, new identity, clarity, light, rest, freedom, and peace. See, victory gives us the used cross of Christ to make us the new work of Christ. Victory gives us hope that this moment of tragedy will not be our last moment. Victory gives us new identity that who we have been is not who we have to be. Victory gives us clarity that our focus will be on the one focused on us. Victory gives us light that darkness cannot overcome. Victory gives us rest that we can collapse in the arms of Jesus. Victory gives us freedom that we can lay our burdens down. Victory gives us peace that we can walk through the tragedy of life because we don't walk alone. So how do we, how do we embrace the peace of Christ in the midst of our tragedy? How do we participate in the victory of Christ over our tragedy? I think there's three fundamental changes that we have to make in our lives. The first one is we need to focus on the presence of Christ, not just the presence of our tragedy. Remember in our verse right at the beginning, Jesus says, I have said these things to you that where in me you may have peace. I think it's important for us to understand that we will never find the peace of Christ by looking at and examining and analyzing our tragedy, but we will only experience and accept the peace of Christ by looking at Jesus. Tragedy has a way of consuming us and taking every thought captive and taking our hope hostage. But if we believe that Jesus is more powerful than our tragedy, that he is stronger than our tragedy, then the peace of Christ has the power to overrule the distraction of our tragedy. We need to focus on the presence of Jesus, not just the presence of our tragedy. The key to experiencing the peace of Christ is honesty about our inability and trust in Jesus' ability. So we need to focus on Jesus. The second one is we need to stop trying and start training. Most of the time, we become consumed by the tragedy around us. It's because we are trying to do more than what we were made for. We are trying to be our own savior. We are trying to make everything work again. We are trying to get back to normal. We are trying and trying and trying. And I would suggest, instead of trying, that we need to be training. Which means... That we need to be training ourselves to rest in the comfort and control and confidence of Jesus. Which means that we need to be in our scriptures more than we're on social media. 
which means that we need to be in prayer more than we complain, which means we need to develop worshipful habits rather than destructive behaviors. This is the developing the muscles of holy habits, developing the muscles of holy habits, this, this idea of training. I love the old workout adage that I work out because I want to stay ready, not so that I have to get ready. I love that, and I think that applies here. Because tragedy does not wait until we are ready. It just happens. The peace of Christ is always offered, never forced, but tribulation is always forced and never offered. Because in, if, if tribulation was offered, we'd be great, right? Like, I mean, nobody goes up to the buffet line of life and goes, hmm, I'll take a scoop of mac and cheese, I'll have a scoop of joy, and a big old scoop of tribulation. Nobody does that. That's ridiculous. Why would we do that? Tragedy just happens. There is no time to get ready for tragedy, which means we need to stay ready, which means we need to stay next to Jesus. We need to start being in his word, being in his presence, and resting in his control because the victory belongs to Jesus. We have to stop trying and start training. And number three, the third change that we need to make. If we want to experience and accept the peace of Christ and we want to celebrate in the victory of Christ, one of the best ways to do that is together. Now, I know our world has told us and our masks tell us and our community tells us we have to be apart. But there's this really cool device called a cell phone. I don't know if you guys have heard about this yet. It's awesome. All right? It's not just for playing Candy Crush like my mom would think. Sorry, mom. Uh, it's actually something you can use to call somebody else on the phone. And it's not attached to the wall anymore. You can take it with you. It's and if you're not a phone person, there's this thing called texting where you can like write a little short email and send it to them instantly to their phone. It's really cool. It's amazing, right? And then, this is going to blow your mind. There's this new thing called stationery. I know. It's unbelievable. There's these things called cards that, where it's a piece of paper but it's folded in half. And one, on one side, if, if you go, you know, to, to a, a Christian store, get them online, whatever, you can get a little Bible verse written inside there for you, and then you can write a little note. I mean, can you imagine in this season where we have to be separate, that you go to your mailbox, and there's not a Carl bill, there's not Health Alliance benefits, uh, but there is a card in there waiting to encourage you, waiting to give you hope, waiting to say you're not in this alone. Just because we have to be apart doesn't mean we can't be together. We were made for community. One of Satan's biggest opportunities happens when we try and navigate our tragedy by ourselves. Satan thrives when we are isolated. When we believe that the burden is all on us. Now, I know we've shared this verse in here recently, but when we're talking about community and we're talking about being united in Christ, this verse just blurts out of the scripture. It's Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. The apostle Paul writes, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Jesus is our example of this. He bears burdens that are not his. 
that do not have his name attached to them. And he takes them to the Father for us. That's what community needs to be doing. Satan wants us isolated. Jesus calls us together. We are called sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, and we need to be with each other. We need to be for each other, and we need to care for one another. Community has a way of showing the peace of Christ and the victory of Christ because we know we don't go alone, because we know we have a team of believers that are coming around us. This isn't in my notes, but my wife is really good at this. She has a group of like four or five moms that she's been connected with since, I mean, before March and April hit. But she's had the, a constant stream of connection to them, calling them, texting them, going on walks with them. Because we need each other. Jesus is stronger than our tribulation. Jesus is more powerful than our trouble. Jesus is greater than our tragedy. Jesus has conquered the tomb. Jesus controlled the chaos of the cross. The peace and victory of Jesus gives us hope that while we will walk this road of tragedy and tribulation, we do not walk alone. That we walk with each other and we follow the direction of our Savior. So yeah, in this world, we will have trouble. We will have tribulation. But we can have courage because Jesus has overcome the world. 